Good morning. All right. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to be back. It's good to be up here. It's good to uh, just be a part of this summer series. I love the summer series. For those that have been a part of our church for a couple years now know that every summer we go into a series where we study a book, but not only do we study something that we bring up uh, members to, to give testimony and just to talk about what God is doing, has done in their life and what God is doing in their lives. And this is just an incredible time for us as a family because we get to see what God does, but we also get to know some of the, the, the people in our church that we may not get to uh, talk to or get to know really well. Uh, we get to hear their story and see what God is doing in their lives, and it's such an encouraging time. Um, also, I, I feel like these testimonies blow our sermons out of the water, and so uh, it, is, it is awesome and it is great. Um, we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah really talks about rebuilding uh, Jerusalem. And as Pastor Rich and Jojo shared last weekend, as he, he, they kind of framed uh, what Nehemiah is about for us. Nehemiah is this story where it takes really great faith for, for a nation that was under siege, that was displaced because of what they have done. Now, we have to realize that Nehemiah, when this part of the story comes, comes to fruition, this isn't news. That Jerusalem in rubbles and Jerusalem in, in ruins is not something that is news. It's not like something that happened yesterday. Like this actually happened about 140 years right. before Nehemiah came to build the temple. So it's equivalent to saying like, hey, did you know that John A. McDonald is the prime minister of Canada? Like, okay, he was the first prime minister of our country. Our country is only 150 years old. Like, uh, that's kind of like what is being presented to Nehemiah here. Nehemiah is like, oh, oh, this is, it's not news. Jerusalem is in ruins. The country of Israel is displaced. The people are displaced. The, the, the nation was split in two after Solomon. This great nation that Solomon built and this nation that God promised, this promised land that God says, you are going to, to rule in this land. This is one of the greatest influential nations in the world that just completely fell, fell apart. And God split this nation into two after Solomon to Israel and Judah. And then from there, it split into over 20 other nations just being taken over, first by the Babylonians and then by the Assyrians. And over the 150 years, we just see kings fall. And so this is a nation in ruins. And so when this news gets to Nehemiah, Nehemiah it's not like this is news to him. But what happens is that God meets Nehemiah in a new way and gives him his heart for the nation. And because of that, Nehemiah is filled up. It requires us to gain God's heart for God to be able to rebuild something in our lives. That this nation that completely walked away from God, that God came back and is like, I want to bring restoration. 
And that's why this series is so awesome, because we not only get to see Nehemiah be rebuilding Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem, but we get to see God rebuilding the lives of people in our church. In Nehemiah 9, it says, But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in kindness, and you did not forsake them. That is the theme for today's sermon and for, for our testimony today. That we see God our Father, that he is gracious and merciful, that he is slow to anger and abundant in kindness, that he will give us the resources to rebuild our lives. So let me pray. Father God, we just pray to, and we just come and seek after you. Lord, that you are a good God and that you come and you invade our lives so that you can help rebuild it. Lord, that your grace is upon us, that your mercy is upon us, and that you are abundant in your kindness and you will never forsake us. So Lord, we come to you and we ask for your spirit to come. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we have... Hannah Barlin that's going to come and give us her testimony. And Hannah, her testimony, I'm just going to give a little disclaimer. It's a little PG, so parental guidance is, is needed. Uh, but at the same time, the details that she's going to give us is necessary for us to really see God's grace, for us to really see just God's heart and just God's covering over her life. And so if there are younger audiences, we just want the parents to know that there are some details that are going to be given, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's not like it's extreme. But we just want to put that disclaimer out there. So Hannah, why don't you come on up? <coughs> Got to be ready, just in case, you know. Got my box of tissues right here. Made sure I got my waterproof makeup on. <laughs> um, so... I've, I've come a long way, and uh, people who know me know how far I've come, and I know, and they know that it's been God who's carried me the whole way, whether it's through sermons, people, experiences, or even something as simple as his presence. And that change, you know, got all my friends, everybody saying that, I mean, except when I'm on my period <laughs> or I'm having an artist block. But generally speaking, um, people have said that I started to exude this aura of joy or whatever instead of looking like I got a midlife crisis. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you about how I got to this place of healing and restoration and why, despite what I've been through, I believe God's hand and grace is in every aspect of my life. So try to picture 1997. If you weren't born yet, picture it anyway. <laughs> um, imagine a much younger and very pregnant version of my mom and my dad. They're in the overflow room right now. Um, in the Philippines, and they've always been God-fearing, and it only made sense to pick a biblical name for who they thought was going to be their son. Um, months before I was born, my dad had this crazy, great, 
yes, so horrible idea to name him or name me Zerubbabel. <laughs> I, I apologize. I truly apologize if that is your name. <laughs> but um, this is how I know God watches out for me. He's got my back. <laughs> um, and that he's always been there for me and never against me because I thank God, I thank God for this every single day that I was born a woman. <laughs> which got them to name me Hannah Neal instead, which is interesting because this series is based off of Nehemiah. And guess who shows up in the form of, of a tower that was actually restored? And Hananiel means God is gracious and is highly favored by him. And based on what I've been through, I see that. And my own name within itself is God's promise to my parents that he'll be there for me and to me, myself. So growing up, I had a very legalistic view of God. I was raised in a very traditional Chinese church in the Philippines, which my family has been a part of for four generations. Because of that, I had no sense of my own faith. Rather, it rested on the faith of my family. My only relationship with God was that of fear, and that usually came in the form of my family, and in a subtle way, making sure that I didn't dishonor them at church. I remember, making, I remember my mom making sure that I read at least a chapter from the Bible each day, and I did, and I honestly never missed a day because I knew that if I cheated, the wrath of God in the form of my mom <laughs> would get to me. The worst mornings would probably be when I reached the book of Numbers, and I did want to gouge my eyes out. I still do, <laughs> but, and I had stacks of notebooks filled next to my bed filled with all the things that I journaled. And in hindsight, I'm pretty grateful for that because it's the easiest thing for me to do. It's clockwork. <laughs> um, in 2010, my family and I immigrated to Vancouver. And immigrants or children of immigrants know that it is a struggle. I don't think I've ever felt so alone in my life. Um, I knew God existed, but I didn't feel that he did. Um, all the words that I sang at church just felt so empty and I know it was just as difficult for my parents and what seemed a way for us to move on to a better life in Canada became a series of stress and anxiety inducing situations and being the oldest that took a lot of toll on me as I had to pick up a lot of responsibility but for the most part I, I felt okay you know I felt like it is what it is um, 2013 came, I was about to turn 16, you know, things were starting to get better. I felt that I had a little bit more room to be a teenager. My parents were very traditional, and when you're as curious and creative as I am, it is not a good match. Um, combined with this irrational fear of disappointing and worrying them, it, I lied about a lot of things because of that. And one of the things that I hid from them and from everybody was the time I went over to a friend's house. Um, they had a bar in their basement. 
um, there was an older guy over and we actually connected in a lot of things. Um, I felt comfortable enough to drink with him alone and that opened a can of worms that really affected me and hurt me for a very long time. Um, in an already drunken state, I ended up agreeing to a game of truth or dare. One dare got me to down 11 shots of vodka. And next thing I knew, he was feeling me up. I pushed his hand away, but he continued. I passed out, I woke up again, and at this point, everybody else in this house had left or passed out. And making sure he wouldn't wake anybody, he took me outside, and that's where I remember being raped. Um, I woke up in the backyard by myself while I was sleeping in one of the bedrooms. And I remember going back inside to the bathroom and seeing the blood and feeling the bruises. I sat there for a while crying, and in that grief, I was in denial of what had just happened. I was embarrassed, and I even felt like it was my fault that I had let it happen to me. I buried that experience so deep and used lies to patch up the hole from where my innocence and purity used to be. I started telling my friends that I was with an older guy and it was fun. On a surface level, it felt good to be seen as somebody who was so experienced, but inside that wound was festering. It didn't help that there's this culture in a lot of churches and even in Christian families surrounding rape and sex that makes it impossible to talk about it. I love my family. I love my, a few of my other mentors and how they've instilled Christianity in me. I know they've done it out of love, but there are times when I didn't need to hear any of that. That I didn't need to hear time and time again that I had to keep my purity and to reserve it for a man that's meant for me. But how could I? I had no choice. It was taken from me and I just felt damaged and worthless. I've been told time and time again that I had to protect myself. And each time it was a slap in the face because I couldn't. And because of that, I decided to, control, to take control of my life. And I've always been independent. And, sorry. <laughs> and made sure that everybody knew that I didn't need them. And that included God. In an emotional sense, I felt like an orphan. I felt that I had to do everything myself, fix myself, and I had to figure it out all on my own. I couldn't trust anybody because the last time I did, something was taken from me. I built all these walls to protect what was left of me. I chose relationships that were purely physical so I didn't have to be vulnerable. I enjoyed being promiscuous and being praised for it. And I was very comfortable. I had a lot of self-confidence when it came to my body. And there's no harm in that, but it came from the wrong place. And when it comes from the wrong place, not only does it start to hurt you, but it doesn't last very long. 
I used these relationships as a way to tell everybody that I was in control of my sexuality. But in reality, I had lost it a very long time. I was using this lifestyle to mask my feelings of not deserving any better. I mean, the first experience I had with a guy was somebody who didn't think I was worth waiting for. Around the time I became, around that time, I also became addicted to porn. I think people who have experienced something similar knows that when you are brought to a dark place, it's always easier to stay in it. And that addiction to meaningless sex and porn was a way for me to cope and forget. But eats at you, and believe me when I say that sex isn't just a physical action between physical act to give you pleasure. It is and should be a connection between two people. It was meant to be spiritual and intimate. And when it is reduced to anything less, it starts to hurt you from the inside and out. And your soul and spirit knows that and it desperately, and it knows when it desperately needs healing. But I didn't know how, and I didn't know where to get that. I felt so angry, I felt that it was my fault for being curious, for being wild, and angry at myself for being that way. I was insecure in every sense of the word, and it affected every avenue of my life. And I wanted everything to just stop, and I wanted to end the cycle. I tried. I struggled, and I don't exactly remember when, but I remember asking God to just help me and really believed it when I, when I said that I needed his help. And over time, I've seen how God was faithful in his promise that he'll be gracious. He has a way of bringing people into your life that changes you in ways you never thought possible. Towards the end of 2016, I was able to connect with a group of girls from Five Stones. I was uncomfortable at first because I already had this negative perspective of Christianity. Fortunately, they were pretty open and probably also the fact that I didn't care what they thought of my lifestyle. Um, it's amazing to think that the first book we studied on was actually about grace. So I was in this weird place where I still struggled but I also have faith. I gave up things and people that weren't good for me, but I was also selective in what I surrendered to God. The hardest thing for me was learning to believe that I didn't need to do anything to earn his love. In early 2017, I started dating my boyfriend, Kaylin, and I know that God has used this relationship to show me that it is possible to be in a healthy one that after every relationship that I've been through, been damaged by, that there is hope. And when you see the way you're meant to be loved, you begin to realize that you deserve God's best. And over time, God has shown me that I am worth loving, worth nurturing, worth treasuring, and worth protecting because I am his child. And, you know, I started to think I was good. You know, people have told me that I've changed. I told God, you know, I don't need you anymore. You know, I mean, I need you, but you don't need to meddle with everything else. 
I can take care of myself now. But God knew me. And he knew that he needed to take all my issues and pain by the roots. And he knew that just because I was in a cute, healthy relationship didn't mean that I was in a healthy relationship with myself. And I believe it was that same year that I heard Bruce and Candace's um, story here at church. He had gone through something similar and just hearing his story and how it affected the relationship pierced my heart. Not only did I empathize, but I knew how he felt. It was so present in my mind that for the very first time, I actually told somebody about what had happened to me. And in owning that, God transformed the very thing that defined me as a victim into a survivor. And in the past year, I've seen God do some major demolition in my life. He didn't do no, like, ooh, let me just patch this up with some ramen noodles and paint over it so it looks like nothing happened. No, he didn't do none of that. He pulled out the foundations of the walls that I built so he could place his own. If that reference didn't make sense, I got another one for you. Think of God as acne medication. <laughs> Slap it on your face to get rid of all those little bumps that's been bugging you. And you know how it doesn't just make your acne disappear back into your skin? It purges and it is ugly. It is messy and it hurts. And 2018 was my year of the purge. Um, I could feel that all the residual effects of what had happened to me was brought out to the surface. All the emotions I buried really reflected. In my relationship with my parents, certain friends, and certain friends, I was just so angry with them. And I know that they never meant it in that way, but a lot of their words became my insecurities. I was told that my choices in men could never be trusted, that I don't have the best track record, so I had to be careful because this might be another thing to add to the cycle. And every time I take a step forward, I hear their voices reminding me of who I was. And I believe those lies. Then I feel myself falling three steps back. A few months ago, I received a prophetic word from Ben Goodman. He gave me this picture of a whiteboard. He said, it was all the things that you wish you hadn't done all the things that you wish people hadn't done to you. And there are the names that didn't just, names that people called you that didn't just hurt your feelings, but they cut your heart. And there's a bunch of this, these things on the whiteboard and it's before you all the time. And this is what God is doing. He's erasing this whiteboard, who you were or who you think you were is not who you are now. The memories are there, but the pull and effect of these things, not only has God forgiven, but he has erased. And the voice that, tried to, that would try to remind you is not the voice of God, but of a stranger. Even those people, when you look in their eyes, they look at you more in terms of where you've been than where you are. You are a new creation, and I've given you a reset do-over, and your job is to explore your future and not to make up for your past. And I really needed to hear that. 
um, it gave me the strength to forgive others and forgive myself. And I've always cared about people's expectations. I'm not talking about the general population. Like, I still respect your humanity, but I could care less about what you think. Um, we just breathe the same air. Um, but when you're somebody that I care about, I will go above and beyond to make sure that you're good and your perception of me is good. And I thank God it's not a lot of people. And as a whole, it really felt like I was pulled and cut into all these different directions because not everybody has the same expectations. And it became impossible to move forward. So hearing all of this that night was such a blessing. And now I'm kind of, the place where I am at is I have this feeling of, like you're just overflowing with love, hope, and joy. And I, I know for a fact, and nobody can tell me otherwise, that I'm good and that I am set for life. And that no matter what happens, God's got me. Um, I can trust him. I can trust again. And I've never felt this much peace about where I'm at, much less my future. And I know this isn't the end of my journey, but I'm happy to start from this place. I'm almost done, I promise. Um, last thing I really wanted to highlight in this journey, highlight is in this journey that you will struggle, like you will struggle. And it will be really hard to to trust God with the control over your life. And for those who have resonated with my experience, you know how hard it is to give that up. You might feel like people have taken, you know, I don't know if I can afford to lose what I have left. I've been used up. And what does it even mean to be used by God? But there is a difference. God doesn't just use you so you can be used up. He takes and replaces that old you with somebody who exudes love and hope. And that well that you can draw from is infinite. It's all that you need. And yes, people have taken from you, but God gives and he gives freely. So thanks for listening and sitting through this. I appreciate that I'm able to share my piece with you. What a powerful story. It's such a powerful story of just God's grace in Hannah's life. I love the fact that we all know her as Hannah, but her parents knew even beforehand to name her Hannah Neal, which means God is gracious with me. That the Tower of Hannah Neal in, in Nehemiah, as it was being restored, the Tower of Hannah Neal is actually the tallest tower but it was a tower that was also right beside the gates that entered into the temple. That this tower is there because it's a reminder for people that our God is gracious to us. 
And so even before Hannah was born, that God's grace was already there. And that part of her story is, is about his graciousness upon her. You see, in our lives, we live in a place where we always seem to fall in some ways. Whether it's someone that, something that has happened to us or something that we've done, that we fall into this place of separation from God. And this is what we see with the Israelites here as Nehemiah starts off the story, that they have fallen from the grace of God. They have fallen from a place of God's chosen people. And what does God do? God calls out one man, gives him his heart, and says, I want to rebuild, and I want to rebuild an entire nation from one man's repentance. I'm going to rebuild an entire nation. You see, sometimes when we look at our faith, we think that once we receive Jesus into our hearts, once we, we experience salvation, once we get to that place of knowing who God is for, for us in our lives, we think that life is going to be easy from this moment on. For us to think that way is foolish and naive because of the fact that the enemy continues to knock on your door and actually when we receive salvation, we actually also receive the enemy's attack. And we have to be aware of that church. That we are under God's grace. And that's exactly where the enemy does not want us. That he wants to keep us down by doing things to us, by inflicting us with either disasters or temptations to tear us down. We see this as you read through the book of Nehemiah in chapter 3. It talks about how God has assigned and Nehemiah has assigned the rebuilding of the walls. But if we stop there, we don't see the full picture of how this, the temple is restored. Because if we move into chapter 4 to 6, we see how many times people tried to stop Nehemiah that the enemy continues to come and plans attacks, but because Nehemiah has God's heart, he is warned by the Spirit saying, look, people are coming. It's not just the outsiders, but even the Jews themselves. As Hannah was sharing, and as we met to go over her testimony, how there was this fear that she couldn't come out with this issue that she went through, that she couldn't talk about rape, that she couldn't talk about her struggles with pornography, that she couldn't talk about these things because there was a fear within the church that this was not a safe place. And this is exactly the same as what Nehemiah's story came to because there were people, Jewish people, that was against Nehemiah in rebuilding the temple. That sometimes the, the place that we come to for safety and for refuge in the church is not the safest place for us to talk about these things. But that's not what God wants this place to be. He doesn't want to. He knows that we're all broken people. He restores a nation that is full of broken people. And he's saying, I want to be that safe place. Even though the church is not that safe place, 
I will be that safe place. He comes in the form of Jesus. Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is a foreshadow of Jesus coming to bring restoration to the kingdom and to bring the kingdom of heaven onto earth. God has taken a city in, in shambles, a city that is in rubbles, and he rebuilds it. But God doesn't only give them the people and the group and the knowledge of how to rebuild. He fortifies them. He makes sure that as they're rebuilding the temple, that they're not just rebuilding, that there are guards that are to stand vigilant from any attack that comes. That as they're building with the trowel in one hand, that they carry a sword and a spear in the other hand, making sure that when any attack comes, that they're ready. That's actually how God wants us to live our lives as Christians, to rebuild the li- our lives, but at the same time be vigilant of what the enemy continues to do to us. That warfare is real and that warfare is present and that warfare is constantly there. That, that Satan will use anything necessary to take us down. I just wrote down a couple things. Some from Hannah's testimony, some from just other things, just to highlight some of the things that Satan will use against us. Number one, fear. Fear is the number one thing that the enemy uses to paralyze us. It is just something that keeps us from moving forward. It could be a fear of others. It could be a fear of rejection, a fear of failure, a fear of conflict. Whatever that fear is, the fear is about paralyzing us to stop what we're doing and to stop moving forward. Second is just negative talk. The negativity that comes. Negativity is to enslave us in our emotions. It is to tear us down and it is to keep us down. The sole purpose and the goal of the enemy is that we, are, we stay down and chained to the things that has happened to us or the things that we have done. This negative feeling is to bring us down and say, you know what, you're worthless. You're not amount to anything. In Hannah's case, that you're no longer pure, that you're no longer worthy. And for her, that purity aspect, that she couldn't even come to the church because everybody's like, you need to keep yourself pure. But when it is taken away from you, you have no choice. But you know what? God restores purity. No matter what happened to you physically, God could bring purity back to you spiritually. And God rebuilds this purity back up. That in the eyes of man, you may not be pure, but in the eyes of God, you are completely holy and that you are completely restored. Other things could be through discouragement through exhaustion, through threats, through intimidation, through mockery, through sarcasm, and through the angers of others. These are all things that the enemy will constantly come against you with. Sometimes God even uses the church against you. The enemy uses the church against us where God has something for good and he brings out down the kingdom of God and says, this is the way I want you to live. The enemy will use even the kingdom to come against you. Sometimes through negative talk saying that you are not good enough to be a part of this community. These are lies that the enemy tells us because the reality is we're all broken. 
that we all have walls and we all have gates that have been burned down. And that God comes through the form of Jesus Christ to rebuild those walls in your life. That God's grace comes in the form of Jesus dying on the cross and saying, the walls that have been torn down, I am here to rebuild. Things that you feel like uh, there is no hope in this area in my life anymore. God is saying, no, through me there is hope. Through me there is reconstruction. Through me there is restoration. As I met with Hannah, Hannah was talking about how, you know what? Yes, this is something in the past that's happened and sometimes people still place that on me. But I feel a complete freedom from this. That this doesn't hold me down anymore. That this doesn't bring me down. That this isn't part of who I am anymore. That's how much God has rebuilt her life. That's how much God has taken all these broken pieces and all these emotions of worthlessness, of 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 just being sick and dirty. And God has taken all of those pieces and rebuilt it. That these, as in Hannah's word, these are memories, but it does not define who she is. That's God's power in rebuilding. Sometimes we like to tell people, like, because you've gone through this, you are always going to be this. But that's not the truth. That if you were once addicted, that you will always be addicted. And actually, societies, if you go through the 12-step programs, I've gone through these things where it's like once an addict, always an addict. And that is not true. That there is victory that comes with it when God comes and rebuilds that part of your life. That once an addict, now made renewed. That addict is, yes, part of my life but it is not who I am. Oftentimes, we don't believe God when he says he forgives us. We don't often believe that he can love us enough to fully restore us. Whether we believe it or not, the substance of God's love is mercy and grace. That he is mercy and he is grace. And that he does mercy and he does grace. That he gives mercy and he gives grace. That he doesn't just forgive. That he bless and bestows favor onto us. And so much that in our life completely broken down can be fully rebuilt. And it is in this response that we repent. And that God is able to bring restoration back into the rubble. This is the way of God. This is his grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Today, if there is anybody in here that feels like I do, I, I'm not worthy enough, to receive rebuilding, I want to tell you that you are. That if there's anybody in here that feels like I am not deserving of God's grace and his mercy, I am here to tell you that you are. That Jesus Christ came to die for that exact reason, because you are worthy. 
and you are deserving. And that if you want to, and if you allow it, God will rebuild that part of your life. If there's anyone in here that has gone through something similar to what Hannah has gone through and feel like they cannot come to a place of accepting themselves for who they are, I want you to come for some prayer. I want you to come, and I actually want you to come and see Hannah because I want Hannah to help pray some restoration into your, into your heart, into your spirit. Because sometimes when we go through things personally, God gives us an extra measure of grace to give to others. And I really believe that God has done that for Hannah, and I want Hannah to be able to use that and extend that as well. I want this church to become a place where it is a safe place for people to talk about things like this. Whether they were taken advantage, whether they were raped victims of, of sexual abuse, whether they have a sexual addiction to pornography, whether they have a place where they're struggling with their sexuality, that this becomes a safe place for people to come to. That there is no judgment here. There is no condemnation here. And that we are a family here to lift each other up, but not only to lift each other up, to fight with each other. A trowel on one hand and a sword in the other. Because this is warfare. We're placed in a place of warfare, and it's very real. But in warfare is where sanctification happens. Salvation comes with something called sanctification, and this is part of it. So let me pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. For you are a good God, and in the story that we heard today through Hannah's life and in her testimony, giving glory to who you are and what you're doing in her life and what you have done in her life, Lord, I just pray that we become this church that is able and allows for your grace and mercy to fall on every single one of us, but not only for your grace and mercy to fall, but for you to rebuild places in our lives that need rebuilding. Father God, I just pray for restoration to come. Lord, I pray for your spirit to come and bring comfort into the hearts of your people. Father God, I just pray that you are able and to come and rebuild things that we don't think are possible to be rebuilt. Lord, may we ask for your miracles to come and to fill up places that are broken. So Lord, as a church, we come with our brokenness and we ask for you to come and bring rebuilding. Lord, we love you. We thank you and pray all this thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we just thank you for your greatness, Lord. Um, we just thank you that when we try to hide ourselves in darkness, Lord, that the darkness is more scared of you than we are, Lord, that the darkness trembles at your name, Lord. You know, I, I just think of the strength it takes to stand up here and... It's scary talking to people. I don't even like coming up here to talk. <laughs> and, you know, but just to come up here and admit when things have happened to us and, and bad things have happened to us. And, you know, I was, Hannah mentioned Bruce and Candace. And, you know, I remember that testimony and, and just how powerful it was. And they weren't talking about some miracle that God came in and angels were swooping around. 
what they were doing was admitting when they had failed. And they were admitting that to the people and, and God to surround them in strength and prayer. And you just see the power of that testimony and how when we admit how flawed we are, um, it allows God to move in other people. And, um, you know, again with Hannah, just the power of, of speaking of these things that happened to her. You know, the two greatest tools that, that the enemy uses are is convincing us that we've gone too far, that, um, that we cannot be forgiven for what we've done. There, there's no way anyone would ever forgive us for that. And, you know, if you feel like you've ever, you know, there's something that's sitting in and you've never admitted it to God because you thought it was too far, that he can't forgive you for that, I just, I really encourage you to go get prayer. And the other one is he, he convinces you that you can fix it yourself. And, I mean, we all deal with this in small and, and big things, but... I, I don't think we can fix ourselves. I, you know, that, that's why he's here. That's why the church is here. That's why Rich is here and John is here and the prayer team is here, is that God is here for you. And so you don't have to fix it yourself. You shouldn't even want to. Why do the work when someone else can for you? Um, so again, I would just, if, if you have something that you've been struggling with yourself, go take it to a person pray privately. Only one other person has to know, but I think you're going to see a lot of relief in, in admitting that to God, admitting it to yourself, and, and having a, you know, a family member come alongside you and support you in, in what that is. So, Lord, we just thank you for such a powerful time this morning, Lord. We thank you for just the great worship where we can celebrate your supremacy over the earth and the heavens, Lord, that there is nothing that is not within your power, Lord. There is nothing that is not within your knowledge, Lord, and there is nothing that is not within your grace. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the words of Hannah. We thank you for the words of John, Lord, and just pray that we can look inside ourselves and, and find those things that we're struggling with, Lord, and just bring them to you and bring them to others to help us, Lord. Let us, let us move past the past and as John said those memories will be there but let it not define us in the future Lord let us let us move forward as as you see us as you know that we can be Lord and so we just thank you for that uh, today Lord and just pray that you would bless us all this week amen <laughs>